do you know what? We can still play a little bit of football, can't we? Hello and welcome to Awful Reporters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. We're back from Germany. Uh, hard to spiel for the for the Seahawks. Da, Brian? So hey, we got Connor here and we've got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on? How's tricks down in Cork? Uh, not too bad. M- made it back here from uh, Germany eventually. Uh, there was some work going on the road apparently, uh, so I ended up going back to Erlingford, which is... Quite the uh, old term experience. It's been a while since you had to go through there to get to Cork from Dublin. But uh, yeah, it was a really good weekend, obviously, with you and uh, Harry and Keen and Richard. Uh, and had a good crack. Lads on tour, lads on tour. Fortunately, didn't manage to get one of the golden tickets, but uh, you know, the atmosphere seemed pretty good from outside the stadium. <laughs> yes, no, that it did. And to be fair, uh, we will talk about it a little bit later on, but also the. Uh, uh, there might be there was the, there was a lot of positivity about the um, the quality crowd and the enjoyment of that, uh, but there was a lot of negativity about the playing surface. Unfortunately, it did not look like it was in the best of nick. It looked like it had been had a lot of work done it and wasn't quite ready for. I think there was a couple of angry Seahawks fans after or players afterwards commentating on we have to you know travel ten hours around the world to go play on a surface like this. So. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, positives and negatives for the NFL to learn from their first trip, but definitely a lot of interest. I can see multiple games in the future. Yeah, well, it looked like they literally had to cancel the first game in Mexico in a while, so if they came back there, I think they'll probably come back to Germany. And uh, I believe there was some uh, spoiler-full uh, advertisements outside the uh, outside the airport, apparently. That there were, yes. a team of interest to yourself, Connor. Yes, there may, there may have been suggestions uh, already the day after the match that the Chiefs are going to be the ones on uh, route to Germany next year. I would say hopefully they're in Munich rather than Frankfurt, just in terms of experiences so far. Uh, I definitely thought Munich was a great crack, to be honest. Uh, Frankfurt, less so. But but all the cool central bank people are in Frankfurt, right? Yeah, that's, that's, where, it's all, all that's where it's all happening. I suppose the only plus is I might be able to like get a work trip in around it so I'd only have to pay for half the flights or something. Um <laughs> Yeah, I suppose we better swing into a few bits of the news. As you, as you may have noticed, we're down uh, to, to, to the two of us this week. Unfortunately, Sean can't make us. It's puppy-based emergencies going on down in Cork, so he's uh, he's currently rectifying those. So I suppose we'll start with Controversy Corner. Uh, DC's Attorney General Carl Reichniv has fired or filed a civil lawsuit against Dan Schneider, Washington, and Roger Goodell for colluding to deceive residents of DC in the investigation into the toxic workplace culture. So we've obviously talked a number of times about this it does seem that there might be finally on the way out i think we mentioned previously that they're looking into possible routes of selling the team this is another strong statement by the district attorney to 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 try and kind of push further on this and actually kind of try and get some sense of justice for some of the staff that were very badly treated at the hands of schneider and his crew um they also decided to make themselves look like even bigger scumbags by coming out in advance of this trying to trying to blow away um, kind of a blame from themselves, uh, released a statement talking about how their rookie running back had been involved in a, a shooting and how the Attorney General should be out stopping real crime, which shows a lack of understanding about what Attorney Generals do, as well as just a really brazen attempt to try and change a conversation and just kind of talk about anything other than what they've been up to themselves, right? 
Yeah, and like, look, the whole thing was pulled very quickly, and so maybe this is kind of a full-on Elon Musk situation where it was just Dan Snyder getting the account, getting the Twitter account, and doing something stupid. Uh, but like, look, like I think the team realized pretty quickly that trying to deflect uh, onto something which they treated with a fair amount of respect, the Brian Robinson shooting, and, and to be fair, the people who actually were responsible for that are currently, I believe. Uh, there, there are suspects and they are being processed though I think they're underage so it's, it's obviously a little bit more complicated than just sending them to jail but yeah like look this is a situation we talked about there was rumours about this we talked about in the last week's podcast but like yeah the lawsuit alleges that the not only did the Washington team do the bad thing which is obviously engaging in a toxic workplace culture but the NFL has been aware of this for a long time uh, before the official investigation was conducted and did nothing about it and therefore are culpable as part of the civil lawsuit being filed by the uh, the Attorney General in DC, Carl uh, Rakinev. So, yeah, like, look, I think this is one of those ones that's going to keep rumbling on. Maybe there'll be a settlement at the end of it, but, yeah, Washington's attempt to play PR the day before is probably the thing that'll stick most in the craw of, of fans. Yeah, particularly given the kind of history of some of the problems coming out of that organisation, it's not a good look. Uh, let's have a look at some of the changes around the league. So, some uh, signings, some new people on new teams. Uh, Green Bay have signed safety Jonathan Abrams after Las Vegas decided to release him and uh, Las Vegas has signed Jerry Tillery after the Chargers have decided to release him. So a bit of movement here for defensive pieces that maybe haven't worked out since they're, uh, since they're drafting and, and uh, like hopefully new starts for them but to be honest it's like uh, there's a reason. There's a reason that they're just being released at this point. We'll put it that way. It's not. It's not like these yeah. are the most sought after pieces that will likely push a team, particularly a team like the say the Raiders, over the edge. Yeah, like look, these are both guys who are former first round picks. So obviously, the argument is that they're talented and they're going to get a second chance. That's what happens to these kind of guys. But I would imagine if they don't work out here, then they'll be quickly spiraling down into practice squad eligibility and then eventually out of league unless they get stuff together. Abram, obviously a hard hitter, but not a guy who seems to be particularly good at you know the actual coverage and stopping passes part of being a safety we'll see how he gets on in that green bay defense i don't think we'll see him too much this year but he's a guy who might stick around uh, you know on the fringes and maybe get back and tillery's kind of been a big disappointment for the chargers for the last few years you know they've they've tried to invest a lot of uh, money into that defensive line and tillery was one of their first round picks that just didn't work out uh, for vegas like they're equally kind of short so I suppose picking up as a speculative ad makes sense I think it's also pretty bad time for the Chargers because they lost two defensive linemen to injury for the season yeah we're, we're going to be coming into those <laughs> in a second it is it is a uh, tough time to be a Chargers fan yeah like look like uh, you know they're not they're not screwed like they, they they were pretty competitive this week even with all that kind of stuff going on but uh yeah it's Chargers Chargers shit happens yeah very much so let's move on and have a look at injuries so we'll start off with the kind of big big top end ones uh, Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup has injured his ankle. He's gone on IR, which means he's gone for at least four weeks, but possibly might be gone for the season, given that the season is not going particularly well for them. So it might be somewhat of a loss to have in the rest of it. You flagged there that the Chargers have lost both uh, Otito Gabanga, uh, the defensive tackle, and Christian Covington. Uh, so first thing to a patellar tendon, Covington to a pectoral. Carolina lost cornerback Deontay Johnson. PJ Walker's an ankle injury. He's going to be gone for two to six weeks. And Baker Mayfield has won back his starting job, I suppose. Um, Indianapolis linebacker Shaquille Leonard has injured his back he's on IR for kind of a, we don't really have a timetable on his coming back and Quiddy Pay their uh, edge rusher is also uncertain on his timeline Arizona tight end Zach Ertz has injured his knee and he's gone for the season Miami defensive end Emmanuel Ogba has torn his triceps and has gone for the season quarterback Jason Verrett for San Francisco injured his Achilles and has gone for the season that one really hurts because that was an awful season like it's, uh, it's a horrible time to get it and other ones would also include uh, Philly tight end 
and Dallas Goddard, who's out for two to four weeks with a shoulder injury. Denver wide receiver Jerry Judy, ankle injury, and he's week to week. And Caleb Farley, the cornerback for the Tennessee Titans. He has an injury to his back. We don't have enough details at the moment as to how serious it is, but um, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one for you. So you can sympathise with the the back injury, uh, Connor. I can, I can. Yes, I uh, in my exuberance to to go dancing post the thingy, I've pulled something in my back and it was uh, quite painful. <laughs> um, but it's okay. I'm definitely still young and vibrant and not an old man. Um, let's have a look here. So look, obviously, the the Rams season is on a downwards trajectory, but this is for some reason, the entirety of their offense. Like, they only throw a Cooper Cup. That's pretty much it. So, like, I don't know if this means now they'll just be forced to use other players more. But, yeah, like, it's it's probably it for them. Like, they weren't they weren't exactly world beaters anyway, but... Yeah, like, I think, like, the trajectory of their season is going in a very negative direction anyway. They just lost to the Cardinals, the other kind of bottom dweller in the NFC West. Now, the NFC very open in terms of wildcard spots so I wouldn't say they're completely out but losing Cooper Cup who's basically been the entirety of the offense as you said is a big issue and I don't think if like a combination of Alan Robinson and Van Jefferson and Ben Skoranek is going to really you know fill in the gap there I don't think there's anyone yeah. who could fill in the gap except for maybe like a Justin Jefferson type so I think for a team that's already in a bad trajectory and in a couple of weeks could be officially eliminated don't be surprised if Cooper Cup is just shut down for the season I think he you know it's, it's only it's an ankle sprain which sometimes are, are not too serious but he did get surgery today or he's getting surgery t- uh, this week um so that's an indication that's a bit, Could more, be a bit more serious yeah. situation so yeah. i think with, with a guy like this they're not going to take any risks as for the rest of these injuries like look i think the indianapolis they are technically still alive because they jeff shatter saturday's a genius or something like that shaq leonard's a big loss for them he, he was supposed to come back recently but his back issues have re-aggravated and now he's just basically no idea when he's coming back. That's a bit of a concern there, not just for this season, but potentially going forward. And similar with Pay, he had come back from an ankle injury. It re-aggravated. So these are the kind of things that you know make yeah. you really concerned as a fan. Um, as for the Chargers, yeah, like yeah, Chargers depth on defense is going to be tough. Like they've got a they 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 were Sunday night football. They're back to back. They're on Sunday night football. They've been flexed in against the Chiefs this week. Like yeah, you want to be able to get pressure, and they're dropping like flies. Yeah, and Obiani and, and Covington aren't like you know superstars or anything like that, but they've been solid. And for a team that's had horrible run defense, uh, you know they just can't afford to lose that kind of depth. Like you really need a rotation of defensive tackles these days. Um, Carolina are still technically relevant. Dante Jackson's a loss for the defense. That'll make their games even dumber, I imagine. As for Baker Mayfield, uh, just to note that uh, Darnold is back and available, so don't be surprised if that turns out in Sean's prediction by the time we get to it has come true in its totality uh, when Baker and uh, Darnold are both used in addition to PJ Walker this season. And then finally, you know, Arizona is still technically relevant. Zachers is a big loss for that offense. He's been kind of the safety blanket there. Um, obviously not as big a factor as, say, DeAndre Hopkins, but probably the second most important pass catcher there. Uh, we'll see if guys like Rondell Moore um, it can step up into that gap. Ogba, solid contributor for Miami, definitely someone they'll lose in their rotation. And Verrett, he's a solid contributor in San Francisco, but they're not as reliant on him as he was a few years ago. Philly, yeah, coming off the loss, losing Goddard, definitely not great. Uh, but I think they hope he's not done for the season, so uh, they'll get him back when it matters because they'll almost certainly still go to the playoffs. And uh, Judy, like, Denver, who cares? Uh, and ten- <laughs> Tennessee, uh, Caleb Barley, he's been unlucky with injuries before he came into the NFL, and I think it's like a slipped disc. That's the kind of thing that, you know, can get quite serious. We hope that he, uh, you know, comes back uh, stronger than ever either this season uh, or yeah. next season. Very good. And uh, on that lovely note, we'll move over and have a look at the games from last week. 
So first up, I suppose, game of the week, and as many are saying, possibly game of the year so far, Minnesota at Buffalo, 33-30 to in overtime. It's a big back-and-forth contest that had everything at a goal line. Fumbles, missed drops, huge plays being pulled off in a comeback where the guys were down two scores in the at the, at the half. Like Justin Jefferson did Justin Jefferson things, went for nearly 200 yards and a touchdown. Cooks was nearly 150 and a touchdown. Like Allen did great stuff as well. You know, the the, the, the four, over 400 yards, a touchdown. He had mistakes. He had a fumble. He had his interceptions as well. Um, and obviously, you know, for me, it's 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 not necessarily the, the worst thing in the world from my perspective that the Chiefs now hold the number one overall spot in the AFC. I might be relatively happy with that I was and I will say this quite frankly surprised at like yes there's mistakes on both sides and maybe that's kind of what went into this but like I would not have been putting Minnesota in the type of bucket that they'd be able to go in and got out an overtime win having to come back from two scores down at the half like that's even when this team has been playing well that's not felt like the type of team they are to me they felt like the kind of to, to an extent flat track bullying and just not making the mistakes that they would have done previously but this was one where they stepped up big time and uh, yeah it just really really impressed me uh, it does it does make me also a tiny bit concerned and I'm sure Marcus would have given us a bit more in depth over the weekend if he'd been able to join us on this that uh, like it does make you wonder are Buffalo a little brittle yeah, and like they've had swoons in recent years. Like last year, they had a swoon mid-season. Uh, there were statistics going around that they've lost. Uh, like they've only won two out of like seven or eight games where it were one score. Yeah, they can't so win a one-score game, yeah. You know, and like I think at the weekend, we were discussing the contrast with a team like the Chiefs, which is known for, you know, one-score games, don't care. 20 points behind, don't care. Whatever's happening, don't care. Like the only situation that they, that, that really hasn't been true is like the AFC Championship last year where they were ahead and didn't quite, didn't think to run the ball. Um, yeah. But like Buffalo, I think there is a little bit of brittleness there, but I think that kind of comes with the fact that they are the Buffalo Bills. There's such a weight of expectation there. That's such a football crazy uh, town. And obviously the history of that team, obviously losing all of those Super Bowls in a row, there's a lot of pressure there. So I think, you know, until they get that ring, you imagine they will have swoons, they will have issues that pressure will build and build and build until mm. they, you know, they get the final in theory in, they get the final jump off the off the ropes onto the table and for the one final time uh, but like I think in this game look I think Buffalo probably on on, on balance deserved to win this game they had a lot of things um, that went their way the first half they were dominant um, they basically had this game won um, except that uh, Josh Allen fumbled the ball uh, on his own goal line um, when he was just trying to kneel the ball and like that's just a situation where you know, this kind of stuff happens, but it's the kind of thing you wouldn't expect, say, Tom Brady to do. He would understand mm. the situation and get that done. So, you know, Josh Allen. But, like, you know, the very next thing that happens is that they now they're three points down after giving away that defensive touchdown. Josh Allen then leads, like, a, you know, 39-second drive for the kick that they needed to go to overtime. So you're kind of going, yeah, well, he's still fucking Josh Allen. He still does amazing things. There, it's certainly not all smoke and mirrors here. And remember, he's playing with an, he was playing with an injured elbow here, and he certainly was putting his body on the line at points in this game despite that. Um, and he, he certainly got up slow a few times. And, you know, now, given it's like, you know, we're a bit back in the middle of the season, 
<laughs> you probably don't want that to happen because the playoffs are where things will matter. But, you know, now that they're in a dogfight in the AFC East, he's going to have to be full-on Josh Allen for the rest of the season to make sure that they have a chance of winning their division, having maybe a chance of getting that number one seed back, uh, but even just to make the playoffs because there's so much uh, going on uh, at the moment. But, like, fair play to Minnesota. Like, I think... You know, when you talk about we don't expect any things, I think the reason we did it is because, like, all, like, A, they're the Vikings. They have such a history of pain and stuff like that. B, they have players at important positions like Kirk Cousins and certain areas of defense where you're like, those are just guys, right? But we also, every week, have to admit they have guys who are superstars. And Justin Jefferson in this game, particularly towards the end of this game, just was like, I am not going to lose this fucking game. One of his catches um, in the fourth quarter was just absolutely ridiculous, where he basically used the defensive back uh, almost to cradle the ball to then do a one-handed catch uh, process. It was just absolutely ridiculous what he was putting out there, and he was just a unstoppable force of nature. He had the good touch in early, but just in the end of this game, he just again and again and again, he saved uh, Kirk Cousins bacon. Kirk Cousins didn't play badly, but you know he's just—he's obviously not Josh Allen. Uh, but Justin Jefferson can make you look like Josh Allen with the way he plays the game. And Dalvin Cook, also the other big superstar on the offense, also had a big game. He had a big run uh, for a touchdown um, early in the in the second half that ended up being kind of the spark for getting back into this game and making this uh, you know close enough that they could take advantage of the fact that the Bills made that key um, goal line fumble. And look, look—it's—it's it's not that you know—and the Bills do very got some luck themselves like that. Uh, that catch by Gabe Davis that was missed by the referees in a situation where the mm. referees or they were only like there was no it was post the point where you could use a, a challenge flag that was a big miss by the referees and they're probably a little bit lucky that uh, maybe Minnesota fans didn't burn them out of place because they got the win in the end but look I think Buffalo are still a really good team I do think there is maybe chinks in the armor psychologically uh, but as long as you have Josh Allen I think uh, and this defense I think is still pretty good I think it just you know it, it it went bad at the worst timing they're going to be a factor in the AFC uh, playoff hunt and I think Minnesota have earned the right to be respected and in an NFC where obviously there aren't that many other people of note of, of, of notable competition um, I think you certainly have to put them as one of the favourites in the NFC uh, championship race. yeah well that's what I was that was what I was thinking in my head of like where do we now put them against because uh, this was the next thing we're going to talk about is the one that would have probably been definitely atop that mountain uh, Washington went over to Philly and decided do you know what We've had enough of these undefeated Eagles this year. Uh, we're going to put them down. So Washington 32, Philadelphia 21. Um, yeah, it was just surprisingly, very surprisingly well-managed game by by Washington for a team that kind of tends to not do that great. So I think they had two to one time of a time of possession advantage on this. They made, you know, forced a lot of mistakes. Philly, you know, had some fumbles. They just didn't really get anything going. Like, because... The thing is, when you look at this, you imagine, all right, is this that Heineke had a big breakout game or something? He didn't. He was fine. Like, he wasn't anything special. He still had an interception, but like, you know, you know, 200 yards, nothing nothing wild. And you go, okay, well, then it hurts have a massive explosion. You're like, well, no, not really. Cause he had 200 yards and three touchdowns and an interception. But they just kept them off the field and kept them tired and just, frankly, in one or two spots got lucky. But this is... You know, this is the kind of the 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 maybe maybe this is the monkey off the back game for Philadelphia. Maybe they're no longer worrying about the winning all the games. Maybe they're kind of like okay, it's just like kind of figure out where we need to get better, get ourselves ready for the playoffs, kind of thing. Like, like it's weird to me because looking at this, you should now be going well. Washington are a proper contender. Like, no, they're not. Like, this was luck. Like a lot of this was luck. I think. Um, I I would think if you played this game ten times, you're gonna have 
Philly win nine of them. It just happened. This was the tenth where it happened. Am I mad wrong on that, or is this like is this time of possession thing something that's replicable that other teams could use to try and beat them? I don't think it's unfair to say there was a big portion of luck for this win for Washington. Um, but I will like I think it is worth giving them respect. They came in with a very specific game plan. Like it's kind of like if you watch uh, football, soccer, um, it's like that kind of you know ten man behind the ball, just like play defensive, let them you know waste themselves on you, and you just do what you do to kind of maybe nick a goal at the end. And that was very much it felt like what what Washington were doing for most of this game. Like you know they ran the ball a lot and they didn't run the ball that well. I think they averaged just over three yards a carry, but it was the exact right. Like it wasn't like oh, like 10 yards and then like, uh, you know, minus one or something like that. Like it was just nearly every single run was just that, that kind of three to four yards, three to four yards, three to four yards, grinding it out, grinding it out, just making those things and having these long, uh, I almost want to say arduous drives that just kind of sapped slowly but surely the Philly defense. And the Philly defense, to some extent, uh, the, the defensive coordinator, Gannon, should take a little bit of blame because I think he played into it because he was playing um, pretty standard defense, four-man fronts, uh, very little blitzing, very little like pressure on Heineke, which means that when Heineke was in those very third and short situations constantly, he was able to make them. Because Heineke, like, he's not a great quarterback, but he was sufficient to like convert third and two. I think most quarterbacks worth any salt in the NFL should be able to do that. And so these drives were just racking up and that meant that Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders and the and the rest of the Philly offense like they weren't playing badly they just had so few opportunities it didn't matter how good they were and so this entire kind of first half where Washington finished 2014 up and then in the early part of the first half uh, where they kind of just were keeping Philly at bay and um, it all it was all kind of going perfectly to plan and set up a situation where um, they could end up winning this game. But I think there was a point here. Uh, basically, I would say when Philly scored their uh, final touchdown and then Washington threw an interception, and this was a terrible Heineke-style interception. He had, a, I think, a couple of throws early in the, in the first half, which could have been intercepted. And I think he's like one of the highest rates of interception-worthy passes, so he's been pretty lucky in terms of that, um, even given he has quite a few interceptions this season. But regardless, like he threw the interception, you could feel momentum going, um, and, but then the next drive, you get a fumble from... Uh, Dallas Goddard uh, to be fair he got a major uh, face mask and he also picked up an injury in that so like it's not his fault whatever like that and you're like okay we can do it next time and to be fair to them they held Washington to a field goal with a short field and then they get the ball back and then it feels like like I think you were seeing the momentum building you're kind of going okay Washington fair play you've played hard but Philly are the better team they're going to get the score they're going to take this game and they deserve to because they're the better team because like once they get going and are given chances on the field they look you know twice as explosive as you do they actually have you know passing and fun things uh, but then unfortunately on their next uh, play they had another fumble where the uh, receiver the, the receiver was very unlucky Quez Watkins uh, basically uh, got a deep ball really good pass from jo- from 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 Jalen Hurts he had really good recognition that play he he falls over um, the defender had not touched him he gets back up there's another defender and punches the ball out and that te- that turned out to be the key key play of the game uh, because on the next play, they'd have a punt because of a, a busy a missed assignment by the offense. Well, basically, the, the center got absolutely hammered uh, and they, they got a sack and that ended the drive. And then the final, like to be fair, the final uh, drive uh, <laughs> for Washington ended in a really weird situation. Like they had, I think Philly could have got it back with about two minutes left, uh, but Tyler Haneke uh, kind of half kneeled down um, and Brandon Graham and another defender came and hit him and got an unnecessary rough. That call was a little bit weird. Like I, I kind of get where you're coming from. Like I, I think 
I get it. And they did hit the head area, so that kind of definitely plays into it as well. But it was a little bit thing. And Taylor Hardy came in. He was, like, fucking so pumped up to get that penalty. He was like, oh, baby, I'm the fucking genius man over here. Uh, so that was pretty funny. And then uh, just to say that, like, you know, it's 32-21 here, but it was it was only a one-score game, uh, I think, on the uh, pitch play at the end, a desperation Philly true. Yeah. Uh, you know, Washington got a defensive t- touchdown. But, like, look, I think Philly are a better team. Just a bunch of weird shit happened in the fourth quarter that meant that they, when they were better, they couldn't quite overcome the gap that they had. Uh, but Washington, to be fair to them, had a plan. They stuck to it. They got the rub of the green and they got the win. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think that changes my opinion of either team too much. Uh, but for Philly, yeah, I think maybe the monkey being off their back is probably better than going forward. Yeah, a uh, big one for the. So it's kind of a little bit of a theme this week. Of like, it's, it's a lot of NFC stuff that's moving around, but it's 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 quite of interest. Dallas went up to Green Bay, and Green Bay decided, you know what, we can still play a little bit of football, can't we? Uh, Twenty-eight to thirty-one in overtime, another overtime game. We had a good few this week. Aaron Rodgers looks back to slightly more classic Aaron Rodgers style, over two hundred yards and three touchdowns, uh, leading a fourth quarter comeback. They were twenty-eight to fourteen down entering the fourth quarter, and. You know, we saw Jones performing well, 156 yards and a touchdown. We saw Watson, he had a big breakout game because I think he's had ongoing hamstring stuff through the year or whatever, but like over 100 yards and three touchdowns. Four of the guys to play pretty hard. Dak Prescott hit an okay, but an almost classic Dak kind of performance of he had 265 yards, he had three touchdowns, but he also threw two picks, you know. Um, yeah, it was not really not really their best. The, like the running game... What's your what's your take on this, Ronan? At this point, because there's a lot of people who would advocate that Tony Pollard should probably be getting more of the ball. He ran pretty well this time around, 128 yards and a touchdown because there was an injury to Elliot. Elliot was playing, or but he didn't play very much, or he wasn't playing full stop. I can't remember exactly, but I know that he was sidelined, and people wanted a bit more Pollard. Like obviously, CD Lamb's controlling the, the the wide receiver side of this, but like, do you think Pollard's like that they should just be going with him I know that there's a problem because you know Jerry Jones does whatever Jerry Jones wants to do and Jerry Jones likes him some Ezekiel Elliott but like would you be would you be swapping to Pollard as the hot hand here yeah like definitely like there's no reason to keep playing Ezekiel Elliott as if he's a you know franchise running back he's a very good complement to uh, Pollard he could short goalage situations and goal line situations I would probably have Zeke in there uh, and obviously just if you're if you're trying to grind out a game but if you're talking about explosive plays particularly in outside zone type runs Pollard is just a way more explosive athlete and this is a good enough offensive line and a good enough offense in terms of the pass game that those kind of opportunities will exist and you know he's gone over 100 yards two weeks in a row he's just a way more explosive player there's no no excuse really uh, once he comes back to not do that except that Jerry Jones loves his boys you know um, and, and that's just how it is and like to be honest this game is kind of weird like I think Dallas didn't play that badly but I think they definitely uh, you could feel the pressure on it obviously this was a Mike McCarthy revenge game to some extent uh, I think Sean joked last week that oh revenge for what like uh, winning a Super Bowl despite being shit at coaching uh, but like I'm like uh, like look like I think like like you know the way that ended it wasn't in the most uh, you know magnanimous uh, situation uh, for, for anyone involved uh, but I think in this situation it just felt like the Dallas Cowboys were trying a little bit too hard they had a bunch of penalties they obviously have uh, some turnovers and then in in overtime you know Mike McCarthy decides to go for it on fourth and fourth um, in his own in his own territory uh, basically and you have a situation where they fail on that and that just felt like Mike McCarthy wanted this win so bad he just he wanted it so bad and I think I think 
the, the, the vibe of the team was just a little bit off because I think overall this is a better team than the Packers certainly the records sense that and certainly the way they've played this year sense that even though Green Bay were better in this game and it just it just didn't quite come together like CD Lamb was playing lights out Pollard was playing well uh, Dak was letting the side down but I think in particular the defense just wasn't like their secondary is a bit banged up at the moment fair enough whatever but you know the strength of this defense has never been the secondary for the last couple of years it's been the defensive line and the defensive line wasn't doing crap really I think they had uh, only uh, two sacks in this game four tackles for a loss and for a team where they've had some really explosive uh, like you know uh, stat lines this year that really didn't get it done. Uh, like I think Michael Parsons didn't have a single QB pressure in this game. I guess the first time that has not happened in his career. So, uh, like fair play to Green Bay. Obviously, they did their homework and they, they did things to prevent that from becoming an issue. And and Aaron Rodgers is getting it out of his hands pretty quick this year. To be fair, uh, but. It just felt like the formula for the defense just collapsed late on at the worst timing. You know, 14 points given up in the fourth quarter. And that just gave Green Bay the thing. Because we know, like, you know, Green Bay have been so up and down. But we know that Green Bay, they've been a team that when they get hot, they can get hot, very hot, very quickly. And in this game, we just saw glimpses, perhaps, of the classic Aaron Rodgers being there. Now, that was built on the foundation of the run game finally looking like itself again. You know, going over five yards to pop. Aaron Jones had, like, 24 for 138. Uh, AJ Dillon made some decent contributions as well. And that opens up the pass game so the guys at Christian Watson are getting one-on-one looks. And, like, Christian Watson, he is by no degree the finished article. I think he had a really bad drop in this game as well as, as, as his three touchdowns, but he is an explosive playmaker. We know that. And he's a guy, if he's given one-on-one coverage, he will get open. And Aaron Rodgers, his deep ball is still fine. There's nothing wrong with Aaron Rodgers' deep ball. It's just the rest of the kind of constituent parts needed to have a functional offense doesn't work. And in this game, finally, some of those did come together. I would still have major concerns because like, they're still relying on Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard. Like, these aren't guys that are going to win you games. Uh, but I think you know if they get enough of that, there's enough bad teams, I think, in the NFL that I wouldn't count Green Bay out completely. But it's a tough road from here. They're four and six. It's a tough road. But, you know, I won't go for full Oriel-AX, but I would, you know, maybe there's something brewing here um, going forward. Yeah, like we'll see. Like like you said, it is a bit of an uphill struggle for them. And for Dallas, I think they're probably the, 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 the most bizarrely competitive AFC or NFC East we've seen in quite a while. Um, yeah, very, very yeah. fun. I suppose. Uh, yeah, I, like, I don't think, you know, there won't be as, a, in theory, there shouldn't be any more of these kind of games for Mike McCarthy until the playoffs. So he won't have to deal with the Green Bay hoodoo going forward. We'll see, we'll see. Um, finally, this is we'll have a look at the Germany game they were down at, Seattle at Tampa Bay at Munich. 16-21, uh, to 21. Bucks win the big f- first game ever in Germany. It Yeah, like, it was mostly controlled, but some parts looked really weird, like the passing to Tom Brady stuff. Tom himself was, like, fine, 250, two touchdowns and an interception, but, like, it didn't, it didn't blow you away. What it felt like for about two to three quarters of this game was just Seattle were a little bit rattled that they hadn't travelled well and maybe maybe it's just that they're not used to doing it as much or whatever but like it felt like they were way out of sorts much more so than Tampa Bay were they are a whole continent further away from Europe than than Florida to be fair ah yeah well they just fly the other way like (laughs) 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 But just no, go like, through the planet. <laughs> nah. So they used uh, White at uh, the running game, so he went for 105, which was pretty good. Geno Smith, you know, like, again, leaned more towards the back end, but, but, like, got 297 yards, two touchdowns, and a fumble. Like, it was... 
It was not a poor performance. It was a it was a, it was a performance where I was so happy in the second half that like which was late second quarter, but particularly in the second half that it kind of got to be a little bit more competitive because the first quarter felt very much one sided. Uh, but then it kind of balanced itself out a little bit. Uh, we mentioned at the top as well that there was some complaints coming in from players about the surface of the pitch that they were on and to be fair from where we were looking at it it definitely did look like there was large chunks of very poor surfacing on top of it which is not exactly what you want to see but like we said it was you know decent game very good crowd reaction so many people just looking for tickets over there as well like they could probably run four games and still be you know still have plenty of people looking to get their hands on them so uh i would expect to see more of it but for seattle this is a bit of a knock because you were kind of riding high up to this point. You're still, you know, still kind of in the driving seat there to to to, to be surprised, you know, playoff teams. And like I said, if you manage it, I think your man is probably sitting up there for coach of the year. But um, for the Bucks, this is a big one because this helps them, you know, right the ship again. They are now kind of looking more like the team that would be able to sneak into the playoffs and maybe surprise someone like more so than they were four weeks ago at any rate so a, a nice turnaround game for Tampa Bay um, a little bit of a letdown at least for the Seattle Seahawks yeah like I think this felt like a classic Bucks game like the ones we've expected in the Tom Brady era um, where the things that have been built around Tom Brady, um, which have basically completely disappeared this year, um, have started to become functional. It feels like in the last couple of weeks, like after you know it was a fairly close game, but like it was a solid enough win against the Rams last week, and now obviously a win against Seattle here. Obviously, the two big things I'm talking about there are the run game and the defense. So the run game, obviously, Rashad White was used a lot here uh, over Leonard Fournette. Though Fournette did get the touchdown, and it just I think it added a little bit of a spark there, right? Like I don't think they're making huge holes like they were doing when they had their uh, full starting offensive line but Rashad White is an explosive playmaker which means that similar to the Pollard uh, versus Zeke things that when those opportunities exist he goes for long yards and of course most most well known in this game uh, you see the final play of the game uh, de facto uh, where he goes uh, gets the first down that ends the game as a contest and he was effective all, all week and look like Fournette wasn't bad he was pretty uh, good in terms of uh, yards per carry but I think you just see the difference of having a guy um, who it's explosive and makes big plays and takes advantage of, of what he has there. Maybe he'll get a few more negative plays than Fournette, but that's fine. Like I think you can move with that. And then the defense, like I think uh, I was, like, I think some of the, the the analysis before this game was talking about like you know Gino's a really good um, uh, reader of the game. He he's obviously invested a lot of effort in trying to understand what's happening. Uh, but I think in Todd Bowles you have someone who's obviously very exotic um, in terms of defensive scheming. And so I think uh, you know for the majority of this game I would say Todd Bowles was the winner I think he definitely had Gino a little bit spooked and he definitely and, and I think in particular because the run game was completely taken away uh, for this from this game I think uh, you know uh, Kenneth Walker was held uh, to less than seven like less than 20 yards carry I think he made up for it in terms of catching but um, it just was a situation where the first half um, they just locked them down and the Seahawks did not have a response in game uh, for that period of time and Tampa Bay they, they aren't the explosive Tampa Bay that we had like maybe a year or two ago so they only got 14 points out of that uh, but you they were they were completely in 
control of the game, right? They had controlled uh, what was happening in this game. Then in the second yeah. half, things started changing, right? Like in the second half, Gino starts to just throw it over the middle to the tight end, start throwing uh, quick outs to Kenneth Walker and let him do stuff in space. And to be fair, he had a few nice uh, twists and stuff like that. Um, he, he's really fun to see the, with, his ball in the, with the ball in his hands. Uh, but I think you also saw Tampa Bay. There was just a little bit of a wobble period there. Uh, Brady threw an interception, which to be fair, was a great, uh, great play by Cody Barton, the, the the linebacker, um, really had to uh, make you know do everything to make that play work. And then the really strange uh, Fournette running back throw, uh, where I think the previous play Brady had like gone out um, and was completely you know basically effectively left completely alone. And then I assume Fournette just kind of like, well, if they're going to do that, we we we're going to do the, we're going to throw it to Brady, turn into a complete disaster. He falls over, and then he uh, for for good measure he kicks the defender uh, to prevent him uh, returning the ball. Yeah, very brave. It was because oh. because remember he basically got nabbed for something similar last week or got away with it yeah. whenever they called the they called basically the ghost roughing the passer and then on the replay I could see it was him trying to kick another dude in the dick like yeah uh, like and you know most of the time he gets away with it and probably objectively given the probability of getting caught and the cost of it which is like like a ten yard penalty or something like that. Um, like it's probably the smart thing to do which is a very Brady thing to do really uh, but I think the problem for, for Seattle is that then they were driving down the field they were in the red zone and then Gino had a really bad fumble uh, he just kind of uh, got caught not knowing what to do was trying to make a rush play and then just uh, coughed it up to, to, to White uh, who had a good solid uh, outing at the other White Devin White uh, on the defense and he had a good solid outing. just I think that kind of killed the contest now like to be fair Seattle they kept chugging away they got within one score if they'd stopped Tampa Bay on that final drive and they would have got done, but I think the fact that that final drive when Brady had it with like I think two or so minutes left, they just got back to what they were doing in the first half, very controlled, focused on the run, and Rashad White gets the key uh, first down conversion. So I think on the balance of play of the game, Tampa Bay were probably value for this win. For Seattle, like yes, yeah, definitely lessons to be learned here as they go into their bye. Uh, but like I think if you took six and four before the season, at oh this yeah, point, I think they would be happy to take it. And I think you know. The things that work about it, I think the thing about Gino is like, even though things were going so wrong for them, when the chips were down and the game was on the line, he was still making good plays. He wasn't going into his shell. Um, so I, like, I think, you know, with Gino, you're going to get mistakes. But I think the guy, you know, the, the whole thing, you know, forget about the last play. Let's go to the next play. He really embodies that. So uh, that's a big positive for me going forward. No, of course. That was a good to drop down to the dump off just uh, because we we're two handed. Is there anyone, any particular bits of stories that we're not covering from around the, the league this week? Did you want to? Not a flag at all. Uh, I was, I was, I was very impressed with the shots of Kadarius Tony fixing his gloves mid route run to catch a football, uh, and also hopping on one leg on his way down. That man is just actively taking the piss out of the New York boys for saying he was injured while he was there, right? <laughs> yes, he is a quite a little bastard uh, <laughs> by all accounts. Uh, which, to be fair, is not out of character for uh, Kansas City uh, receivers necessarily. Mm. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Next, okay, so let let like let, let's get straight to dump off. Like, there's some solid games here. Obviously, if if we had Sean here, we'd probably cover a couple of them uh, more in depth. But like, let's start with the Chargers of San Francisco Sunday Night Football. A surprisingly Lol. Lol. defense, yeah, a surprisingly defense-led uh, game. Um, like 22-16 is not a bad score in the end, but it, the defenses were doing most of the work here. Um, San Francisco really had to grind down this uh, this the Chargers defense and. You know, sometimes quite literally in terms of like uh, removing two of their defensive linemen through injury. Uh, but you've got a, what was really interesting, I think, uh, probably more interesting to fancy fans, to be honest, is this two-headed Shanahan running back scheme. You know, you, you trade for CMC and then suddenly Elijah Mitchell comes back off IOR. And it's like, oh yeah, we'll just use both of them. It's like, 
shenanigans. But uh, yeah, like look, they were really the engine of this offense. Jimmy G was solid in a, a supporting role. and he had around 200 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, but like I think it was very much just a control game. The kind of I think this is exactly the kind of game that San Francisco like having. They're in control. They they rule the clock and they let their defense uh, take care of business when the chips are down. Because in the second half here they dominated. They didn't allow any points. And then they uh, on the two meaningful drives uh, they finished on downs and interception for uh, the for on, for the Chargers. I think the interception came off a hit onto the arm of um, uh, of Herbert. So it's you know, something not his own fault. Herbert, like, to be fair, like, Herbert was trying out there. He had a couple of flashes of two usual Herbert things. It's thing, never but Herbert's fault, is it? It's never yeah. Herbert's fault. Like, look, like, when you are when you have, like, Palmer and Andre Carter and you don't have a run game because Austin Eckler's great at lots of things, but he's not a, uh, like, a necessarily a traditional running back. Like, yes, I, I think, like, the people do make more excuses for him. Like, Patrick Holmes wins shit and Herbert has won nothing. Uh, so I think it's fair to say he's been overhyped, but um, I think he That's is. That's not true. He's won several off-seasons. Several offseasons, yes. Uh, but, uh, look, he's a solid quarterback. Um, it's just a tough season for the Chargers, feels like overall. But, like, they still have a winning record. They're still very much in contention for the playoffs, but uh, almost certainly it's a wild card. Uh, their defense, to be fair, actually looked a little bit better, but uh, then the defensive line went away and they actually fell towards the end, so maybe that's not actually good news at all. Um, next up, Indianapolis at the Vegas Raiders. This game's completely irrelevant, but hey, Jeff Saturday comes in and wins the game, which just means that, hey, it's not about what you know, it's about what your gut knows. Um, and so uh, Jim Mercer is the greatest football genius owner of all time by bringing in this guy who's never coached an NFL game for and, and lost his last high school game uh, as a head coach. Uh, but look, I think, you know, how much of that's because Indianapolis were good and how much of that's because the Las Vegas are a shit, shitty, shitty team. Um, I'm leaning towards the latter, but obviously we'll have additional chances to see if that's true or not. Uh, I think for Indianapolis, the positive is that Matt Ryan comes back in. Bit of a kick in the teeth for Frank Wright, to be honest, because you know he was forced to uh, drop uh, Ryan for Erlinger by the owner. Uh, bit weird. Uh, but anyway, he was pretty comfy. He was 2-2-2 in a touchdown. Uh, I think he even had the longest rush of his year of his career. Uh, but the big thing is that yeah, John Taylor... Yeah, but did you see how slow he was moving on it? Uh, you know, you know, it, you know how long it takes Tom Brady to get to a thousand yards. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, John, Jonathan Taylor comes back and looks like Jonathan Taylor. Now this is against Vegas. We'll see if he can do it against better defenses. But you have to be at least happy that he's for the first time since week one, really, or week two, he looked like Jonathan Taylor. Uh, but against you know, Vegas defense, is terrible. Uh, as for Vegas, like their offense was fine. Uh, Carr had 248 yards and two touchdowns. His connections with Adams was alive and well. Jacobs went over 100 yards, all purpose, and had a touchdown. Uh, but the O, you know, you know, there's only so much you can do when your defense just refuses to do anything. And to be fair, the O also failed in the uh, key down at the end of this game. They couldn't convert in the red zone and get the win here. So, look, Vegas, they just feel like a disappointment team with a disappointing nature. And Josh McDaniel certainly has to answer some questions now. I think the owner said that, like, people always want heads too soon. Now, I agree to that to some extent, but, you know, this is a team very much in flux, and but who's made a lot of big investments, so you kind of wonder about the contradictions here from that. But Indianapolis, like, they're technically still alive, uh, you know, so they get some hope. Uh, with this W, but uh, LV, you can pretty much bury them forever. Uh, Detroit at Chicago, 31 to 38. Irrelevant in terms of like playoff chances, most likely, but fun game. Uh, Detroit get the win here in a very, very up and down affair. They had a 14 point uh, deficit in the fourth quarter, uh, but Chicago, you know, they had a couple of miscues, in particular, Justin Fields threw a pick six. They had a missed PAT, which obviously, given the one point difference, ended up being quite uh, problematic. Um, and, you know, 
Oh, but they did enough on their own offense as well. And like, look, like Fields through the pick six end up possibly you could consider losing them the game. But just Fields is also just like really exciting uh, to see. He's kind of just like very erratic. Doesn't make any sense. There's a number of plays that are absolute disasters that he just turns into success. And the, the, the difference that we've seen over the last three or four games since they just completely changed their um, scheme to just let Justin Fields do Justin Fields magic bullshit, it's way more fun to watch. So I'm down with it, to be perfectly frank. You know, 167 yards, two touchdowns, and obviously that pick six throwing, but also 150 yards nearly and two touchdowns running the ball. He's just electric, and I, I, I want to see more of it. Uh, and I know, Connor, you have one of your fantasy teams, so you definitely want to see more of it as well. Uh, <laughs> and, like, to, to be fair, like, you know, at Detroit, like, they aren't slow pokes themselves. I, like, they've had some mid-season swoon, but at least Amon Ra is back in the driving seat at over 100 yards here. Uh, Goff was solid, didn't make any mistakes. I think they'd love to have DeAndre sit back, but I think he's just hurt. I don't think he'll be back to the full health this season, which is really a big negative for them. And the defense, like, look, they gave up 30 points here, but I actually think overall, you know, they're making more key plays. They got the pick six here. I think it's not good, but I think it's better than what it was at the start of the season. Maybe if they can keep building, Detroit can at least end the season on a positive note and um, going forward. Uh, if Dan and possibly if Dan Campbell gets his job. Uh, now we get into probably some of the less interesting team games. To be honest, Jacksonville at Kansas City, 17-27. Kansas City are better than Jacksonville. Like it's just really that simple. And Mahomes is just absolutely on fire at the moment. 370 yards, four touchdowns, uh, a little pick as well. I suppose who cares? He just casually beat up this team again and again. There was a couple of fun uh, cameos from Tony, who went for 91 uh, yards and a touchdown, all purpose. Uh, but Kelsey had his yards, and uh, he also had yards for uh, MVS and stuff like that. They did lose Juju in this game, so that's a little bit of a loss, but we'll, we, we don't know if he's going to be out for any extended period. Jacksonville, like, look, they showed up, and they were willing to, to you know, give something back here. Uh, I think they recovered an onside kick in literally the first play of the game, so fair Yeah, they, they opened ballsy, which I like to see. They just went, no, Joe, we're going to have to do this. Like, fuck it, just open on onside kicks. Yeah, but unfortunately, the Kansas City defense was here to play. Chris Jones had a hell of a game. He was disrupting things all night. Etienne, who's really been the explosive factor for Jacksonville recently, was kept in check. And Lawrence, like, look, his final stats, 2-5-9 and two touchdowns is fine. But that was mostly coming at the point where Kansas City had this well in hand. And you always thought that if, you know, Jacksonville pulled a little bit closer, Kansas City would have ramped up. Um, the pressure once again at, like you know they were running the ball a lot with Pacheco and stuff towards the end of this game just to get it over with uh, so I think for Jacksonville I think they're, they're very disappointed this year but I think in this case look a better team beat them uh, Kansas City probably the cream of the crop right now in the NFL um, going up 0-20 here quite early uh, it was kind of open then next up uh, Denver at Tennessee uh, uh, a game that we expected to be tedious and it was incredibly tedious uh, Tennessee grounded out this time though not in the way you usually expect Tannehill comebacks and has a solid game, 267 and two touchdowns. Uh, had a good solid uh, link up with Westbrook Akine, who had 100, over 100 yards and those two touchdowns. As the Denver defense focused in on Derrick Henry, I was mostly successful, keeping him to 67 yards in total. Uh, but I think, you know, we talked in the recent weeks, what would Tannehill coming back mean for the Tennessee the offense? It meant a lot here because, you know, if they had relied on Malik Willis, you would imagine this could have been, uh, you know, a game that Denver might have snuck through. Um, despite the fact that Denver all night were just a complete disarray. Uh, Russell Wilson, 286 touchdown interception. He had to be, he was scrambling a lot. He was having to do a lot of stuff. And look, he does look a little bit better than he was, like, say, a month ago. Um, but against this ten Tennessee defensive line, he had six sacks, nine tackles for a loss. It just looked way, looked completely overmatched. They didn't have a run game to speak of, so you know there's only so much Russell bullshit uh, that he's capable of anymore. And when your defense is really not that great um, and your rush game doesn't exist, 
you know, you're going to lose this game. Uh, so Tennessee, they grind out another win. They keep themselves relevant. Um, they're probably well, they're well in control of their division. Next up, Atlanta, Carolina, Thursday Night Football. Uh, it was happened in a big storm, like a squall. Um, but, like, look, overall, Carolina just had a thing. They're like, well, it's raining. We'll just run the ball. That's what we're going to do anyway. And uh, Foreman grilled up the Atlanta defense, 130 yards and a touchdown. Um, Walker was there, apparently. Uh, <laughs> there long enough to get injured, uh, probably, is most we could say. Uh, but, like, look, for Carolina, they had a plan. They executed it, and it was enough. Um, on the other hand, Atlanta, who have a pretty good run game and who did run it a fair amount, they, they, they decided this is the game. Well, maybe it's getting Barry Owen involved more and have him try a few tr inaccurate throws to Kyle Pitts. Like, that'll work, right? And it's like, no. He was incredibly inaccurate all night. 162 touchdowns and interception. Does not do justice to how terrible he was in this game, making missing reads, throwing, overthrowing the ball. Just bad, bad, bad. You need to be thinking about Desmond Ritter right now. Uh, but, like, the ga game plan calling from Arthur Smith is also just really perplexing. Atlanta, they're just dumb and, and, and in a game like this not in a good way um, but both of these teams are irrelevant I don't think we need to think about them too much going forward next up Cleveland and Miami 17 to 39 Cleveland slim hopes of being playoff relevant when Deshaun Watson comes back gets slimmer still Miami's explosiveness was just completely evident over a Cleveland team which is built around being solid and slow and controlling games 24 unanswered points after Cleveland get the first touchdown to a, had a fairly balanced game here getting to all of his weapons here 285 yards and three touchdowns and when they got ahead by a lot they were able to lean on the Wilson Mostert backfield uh, who went for 120 oh, about 175 yards combined and two touchdowns they just like basically salt this game away um, so having that kind of balanced offense seemed pretty good overall and um, certainly that, that that San Francisco import is working out so far Brissett, fine, 2-5-2, touchdown, uh, but he's a limited pass, we know that, there's a reason they have, they traded for Deshaun Watson, uh, but obviously game situation meant that the Nick Chubb, their main weapon, wasn't really usable to the same extent, and the Miami defense, to be fair, was pretty solid, uh, Cleveland, yeah, I, I, I want to just knife them, to be honest, uh, and it would feel good, but anyway, uh, we'll move on to Houston at the Giants, you know, I don't think anyone expected it to be a good game, and so it proved to be, Giants were okay they ground out the game here this time actually by using sake 100 yards of a touchdown uh my um, the houston defense is bad so danny dimes is actually pretty comfortable here he got on around 70 yards to kind of finish off what saquon was kind of doing most of the work for mills despite having over 300 yards and only one interception was actually pretty bad the interception coming in the red zone was pretty egregious to be honest um and most of this production came in garbage time Pierce is really the only bit of this offense or team really worth watching that makes you want to watch the Houston Texans and the Giants defensive line had this game in hand for the majority of the game um, just the fact the Giants are such a kind of classic slow grinding team meant that Houston had any chance really here at all at the very end next up Arizona at the Rams 27-17 a surprise backup battle here where uh, both Kyler and uh, Matt Stafford were, were pulled late in this game with stuff that came up later on in the week um, and the veteran savvy veteran Colt McCoy uh, leads Arizona to the victory here 230 yards and a touchdown um, he gets the ball to D-Hop uh, for 98 yards he got the ball to Rodney Moore for 94 yards Connor pitched in 86 yards and two touchdowns and they were just willing recipients of McCoy just doing the right thing enough times uh, basically and letting his guys do what they do which is be talented and fast and, and, and good at breaking tackles and such um, so on the other hand the Wolford who's obviously a much less experienced player he had two turnovers here he had one touchdown at two, about 200 yards he was just overwhelmed by and the Arizona defense which to be fair is much improved where it was early in the season um, they held the Rams around 250 yards but look I think when you don't have Matt Stafford and when Cup goes out of this game the fact that the Rams run game just does not exist just became even more obvious and they just don't have anything to rely on they just have nothing 
and a game here against Arizona where they had a chance to maybe take themselves from the cellar and maybe slightly relevant is gone and I'm, I'm ready to just uh, stick a fork in the Rams and, and move on. Next up and finally New Orleans at Pittsburgh 10 to 20. Hey TTT what comes back and Pittsburgh win games this is uh, some kind of uh, weird coincidence right? Uh, <laughs> like maybe maybe not like I think they like uh, Dalton has been faltering recently I uh, don't be surprised if they want to bring James back in the near future uh, as both Kamara and Olave the two kind of explosive weapons there were held to under 50 yards um, I think overall they got two uh, turnovers out of uh, Dalton he just he just he looked past it to be fair, perfectly frank Pittsburgh they finally got a run game here uh, both Najee Harris and Warren nearly went for both 100 yards each um, so Warren got a lot of that in the past game and Pickett because he had a run game because the defense was doing well he had finally had an adequate performance so he had some room to breathe he still wasn't great and to be honest some of his best plays are still when he just takes the ball down and runs for it um, but it was better I think that's all you can really ask for after that and I think you know Pittsburgh's battle to finish above 500 to, to keep their coach in the Hall of Fame uh, consideration whatever um, is, is on in earnest now um, I don't think they're going to be beating any good teams but they could probably beat the likes of the teams going forward so that's a dump off uh, for week 10 we'll talk to you next week so let's start with Thursday night football here. Uh, Tennessee at Green Bay. Uh, me and Sean have gone for Tennessee and Fitz has gone for Green Bay. This is a very interesting one. This is one where, you know, <clears throat> Tennessee have been somewhat on the up if a little bit boring. Uh, Green Bay were on the way down, but now kind of started to turn that around a little bit. The question is they're at home on a Thursday night. Short week, will they be able to pull it out here? My main concern and the reason I'm citing Tennessee is probably more to do with the fact that the Green Bay defence... Doesn't seem to have massively turned it around and I'd be wondering about how they're going to plan to deal with Henry, particularly on the short week. I think that favoured running back uh, performances, but, you know, we'll see. Also, you know, there's basically no one to receive footballs from Aaron Rodgers anymore, even though, like, you know, one of the guys who was half a leg left did get three touchdowns this week. But, you know, I think there'll be limitations to it. So I'm going to go with Tennessee, but I can see this go either way. Yeah, it's kind of a good shot call for Green Bay. You know, I think similar to what I said last week in terms of Tampa Bay and the final few drives and kind of saying, well, maybe Tampa Bay are back. And I think so it proved to be, at least with Tampa Bay, they were pretty much closer to where we thought they would be than where they mm. have been a lot of the season. I'm kind of going to Green Bay. Can the defense put a clan together to stop Derrick Henry? They can probably check the notes of what happened uh, with Tennessee last week where they did a solid enough job of that. Um, mm-hmm. Denver, so uh, you know, Green Bay's defensive line is, I would say, it's probably equally talented as, as, as Denver, uh, so they could do a decent job. That's not saying much. I don't think either is as good as they think they are. Uh, but I think the big thing here is like obviously Tennessee's most fearsome weapon is, besides Henry, is really that defensive line. Um, uh, led by uh, Jeffrey Simmons like if they can get continual pressure on Aaron Rodgers then yes this could be a very tough game and all the things that we saw against Dallas um, would become irrelevant but Dallas have a good defensive line Green Bay seemed to find something to slow them down maybe they can do again obviously it's a short week that's a bit more difficult um, so really I think I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how this goes I think if, if Green Bay get blown out of here then I'll probably revert to where I was but you know my priors picked up I've got a signal here maybe that Green Bay are turning around the pack is back, Aaron Rodgers is back uh, to some extent, and they get the run game going. Like, we know this is a team that can win games. They've done it for multiple years with basically the exact same personnel. So, you know, can they turn around? We don't know. But this is a good test against a Tennessee team that's the definition of solid um, and tough to beat. Um, so if they get it done here, then I think we can start talking about them as maybe a factor in the in the wildcard hunt. Washington taking on Houston. Uh, we've gone for Washington across the board. This is just yeah. so you can get your preview in for the, for the dump-off next week, yeah? 
Yeah, like look, like like it would be very Washington for them to lose this game, right? Like <laughs> like they just come off a, a big win against the, the Philadelphia Eagles, the undefeated, and get themselves back in the playoff relevance, and then they lose to the Houston Texans. But like, look, Washington are—I wouldn't say they're a good team, but they have things that are good on them. Heineke has brought a spark to the team. Um, I don't know if he's good. He throws a lot of interception-worthy balls, but the te- people seem to like him, and the vibes have been better, and the run game's been working a little bit better, and the defense has been solid as well, particularly against the run game. I think that's the big thing. If their defense shows up and stops Damian Pierce, then what else do Houston have? Pretty much yeah. nothing. So I think Washington have to be favoured here. That's the only factor, I think, in this is Pierce, and basically, can they stop him? Yeah. Next up, let's go for a slightly bigger game. The Jets are going down to take on the New England Patriots. Me and you have gone for the Jets. Sean has gone for the Pats. Um, obviously, look, they kind of <laughs> they got a little bit one-sided on the on the Week Eight matchup. Uh, the question is, how far can Bill Belichick take a team that does not really have a quarterback? That is a limitation. Jets are just going to do what the Jets are going to do, which is they're going to try and get as much usage out of Robinson as they can, still and try the combination of running backs they have to capture what they had with Brees Hall and then try and make as much out of the Wilson to Wilson stuff and like hope that they have learned from what New England did to them defensively previously so that they don't fall into the same mistakes. I would I would worry about Bilicek being able to outscheme the quarterback Wilson and then have him that it could it could be quite a bad negative for them getting to like a wild card out of the season if they have a complete collapse again in this spot because it's incredibly demoralizing and it also means that you can see a very hard ceiling on what the team could be whereas like you know big surprise upset wins against other teams will help buoy that so i I'd, I'd, I'd hope that they'd be coming in more confident and be able to tackle them a bit more but like this is a defense that shut them down what four weeks three weeks ago so like yeah yeah, like I think this is a game where, you know, it's probably going to come down to who's more just solid out of Zach Wilson uh, or the Mac attack, uh, Mac Jones. It, it's going to be a situation where I think both teams will want to avoid using them to the maximum amount possible. Obviously, the Jets, before the bye, they got the run game going with Michael Carter and James Robinson after really stalling out against New England on short notice. Mm. Uh, so, like, hopefully they figured that out and had another week off the bye to kind of figure that out and get that run game back up to being acceptable and more tuned to what they have, not what they have with Brees Hall. And obviously, in, 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 in the case of the, jo- in the Patriots, they've been really running Ramondre Stevenson a lot, um, and he's been very, very effective in that. Like, they've settled for a lot of field goals, a lot of field goals, uh, but they've otherwise not been pretty just solid like they feel like a poor man's Tennessee really based on on current uh, talent level Um, Mm. so I think both teams know that they will both want to really really stop the run so then obviously the the the, you know the corollary of that is that therefore both teams will force the quarterbacks to do stuff and while Mac Jones has been pretty bad this year he's not quite as you know reckless as Zach Wilson just way too many Zach Wilson gets under pressure runs backwards looks like a really bad Russell Wilson maybe like well today's Russell Wilson maybe and just ends up uh, throwing interceptions or getting sacked or you know killing drives so he just needs to avoid that and the Jets are a better team like they're a more talented defense we're all lost in the sauce right now that's all really exciting to be um, they, they have obviously an effective running game in my opinion and um, they have more explosive weapons in theory like Garrett Wilson um, yeah. but for the Jets it's about just don't kill yourself like if you have to grind us out and make a close game and bring it down to the last drive or two 
fine. That's better than what you did two weeks ago where you gave the New England the easy win by allowing Zach Wilson to throw the game away. Um, so, look, I, I, you know, Sean picks New England. Um, I, it's very hard to pick up a Belichick, but I think we like this Jets team. They're an exciting team. Um, so, go J-E-T-S. Yeah. Jets, Jets, Jets. Um, yeah, we're going to do our kind of our mid-season, although slightly later in the season, uh, just to do with the Germany game thing, um, review uh, stuff. Uh, and the, the season doesn't get started to Thanksgiving anyway, so we're, it's we're true. It's it true. The week before Thanksgiving, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, does, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> totally planned. <clears throat> totally intentional, and definitely what we were planning to do from the get go. I'm just happy it worked out so perfectly. But yeah, we will be looking at some of the like the positioning stuff, and like, the Jets are a very interesting one when we're looking at the playoffs. I think in particular, um, two which are surprisingly relevant to the playoffs. Still, Chicago, Atlanta. Uh, we've gone for Chicago across the board. They figured out a little bit more what to do with Justin Fields at the moment. They're getting a little bit more exciting. Although there was an incredible hit on the running back uh, by Aiden Hutchinson last week that was just like that would make me want to stop being a running back for a while. Whenever you see that highlight reel come out of you getting basically suplexed out of the way. This Atlanta team, you've talked about a lot, Ronan. They are dumb, 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 dumb. It doesn't make too much sense to me. The play calling is off. They don't really know what their strengths are even. That means that they can just randomly turn up for a game as well. But I think Chicago still pushing around. There's still some space at the bottom end of the of the playoffs for the NFC that like... Like, they should have won this week. They've been winning games that you know wouldn't have been possible four or five weeks ago i think there's enough talent on the team and they kind of know like they're chaotic they're stupid but they know that they have the ability to pull it out so like i would i would take them over atlanta uh in yep. this spot yeah atlanta are just the bad version of what chicago are right now they're, they're dumb yeah. it doesn't make any sense but chicago have justin fields and their defense is a little bit better so chicago yeah yeah, pretty much. Uh, next up, we have Philly at Indianapolis in games that no one needs to watch, I don't think. Yeah, but obviously last week, Jeff Saturday brings in the, the Colts. Suddenly the offense looks somewhat semi-funk. They look kind of like the old Colts <coughs> that we're kind of expecting preseason or what we expected in the last couple of seasons. Not, you know, not anyone's, you know, oh my God, let's go watch the Colts type thing, but a solid, you know, 500-ish type team that can grind out wins and obviously against Philly the big thing they need to do is to stop the run game and to keep Justin Field sorry Jalen Hurts in the pocket uh, and kind of force him to become a pocket and he to be fair like Jalen Hurts is way better than he was last year as a pocket packer he's shown his ability to make connections to AJ Brown though AJ Brown had a very surprising I think like you know less than 10 yard game uh, last week uh, but he's, he's good at it he's much better than he was but it's still not his strength if you if you got him yeah yeah uh, for Indianapolis, of course, you know, can Jonathan Taylor, is John Taylor going to have the Jonathan Taylor type, you know, second half season revival um, that, you know, everyone's going to be hoping for if you have a... a he was a bit, it was a bit better for. this week, wasn't he? Like, he, yeah. like, well, like it, it wasn't is, all the way back, but it was... Yeah, but that was against a, a Vegas defensive line, which is one of the worst in the league. Now, Philly's defensive line isn't where it was like a month ago. They've had some injuries there, um, Jordan Davis in particular. So the run defense isn't quite as good as it was. Obviously, we mm. saw... Washington were able to run pretty effective. Like, it's a three-yard carry. It's not great, but it was pretty effective. Um, and I wonder if Philly will try to be a bit more aggressive this week after learning from last week not to be just kind of passive and we'll beat them eventually because we're better than them type of thing. Because I think Indianapolis will look at Washington did and they will go, we can do that too. Um, but I think the things that went in Washington's favor uh, last week 
those aren't replicable. I don't think you're going to get free fumbles like that. I think like they Philly had more turnovers la- last week than they had the entire rest of the season. So I think Philly, they uh, my expectation is that they get back on track. Um, the defense steps up again. Uh, we see Jalen Hurts back to his explosive best. And Indianapolis, while I think they will be a bit more spirited than we might have expected a few weeks ago, still will show that they are. I think they're a team that's very much in the decline rebuild phase of their team building situation. So, you know, Jeff Saturday will have a, you know, a good loss as it were, uh, but Philly, I think are too good to, 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 to lose here. Yeah. Against this no, revived that's it, like, Colts. That's it. Like they're just, they're just way too, we would be, would be very Philly though, to just start collapsing now. <laughs> just start to cause people to worry. Next up, Rams are going up to new Orleans. Um, We've gone for New Orleans and Sean's gone for the Rams. We, we have we have the acronym for New Orleans. It's N O, and I think that's how I feel about this game. No, yeah, <laughs> like, like New Orleans uh, are 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 in the wilderness at the moment. Like they might go yeah. back to Jameis. They might not. Like, does that mean that then they're going to stop? Back at quarterback. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like New Orleans, it just it just it makes sense for a little bit. Then it stops. Then it doesn't make sense again. They're just very muddly, 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 and it's but very the, hard to get a read in them. Whereas the Rams, the bigger, are just bad. bigger. This is the thing. The problem is the Rams are terrible. They're not and getting they performance out of now. any of the people. They're missing Cooper Cup. Like they, like there's just nothing there at all. Like this is a terrible until, game. Until the Rams get a run game, I think there's maybe like two, three teams max in the league that I would uh, favor them against. Basically, like yeah. I think they're. I think that without a run game, which is a central aspect of the Sean McVay type system, like the Shanahan type uh, school of things, it's just it all falls apart. And particularly if you don't have that Cooper Hope guy just filling in apps. And like you know, Stafford should be back for this game after a concussion last week, a kind of surprise circumstance. But he's not been great. He's been turning the ball over. And New Orleans, you know, their defense has been a bit disappointing, but they've had they've had spike games. So I expect New Orleans at home um, will get the atmosphere going and and get enough production here to get a win. But uh, this will not be a pretty game. Uh, probably yeah next up Detroit at New York Giants uh, can this kind of slightly chaotic weird Detroit team beat what is a surprisingly solid Giants team um, like there's obviously there's a chance that Detroit show up and they kind of get their get the big performance we've seen some slightly better line play out of them particularly against running backs so that might help in this matchup but like we've all gone for the Giants across the board I'd like to see the Lions do it but I just I just, I just not sure if they've got it in them at the moment. To be honest, um, yeah. yeah. Like Sean, Sean took the good call uh, last week on the Lions, and fair play to him on that. But yeah, it, it, the way they play football, it's hard to pick them any given week because even the games they win are very yeah. much in the most uh, strange and weird ways possible. Yeah, I was having a very hard decision over what to pick as my game of the week. And I'm just gonna change it. I think, or basically, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of half chat about two games as if they were that level of one. So this next one I'm very intrigued with Cleveland at Buffalo. Buffalo have been somewhat on a slide, uh, although, like I said, some of it is unluckiness. Um, so I kind of want to see them come in, and I want them to like properly get back on track against them. But this is Cleveland are in that spot where now, if they want to stay in any way relevant, for whenever Watson gets in, they're gonna to need to be winning these games. The early reports on this game is that there might be two foot of snow at it, which is why I'm like, I will take like the running game of Cleveland over the running game of Buffalo if it's that kind of bad level of um, of weather. But like, because I think that's the setup for Cleveland to win this type of game is to make it a ball control. They run a huge amount. They try and knock them around a little bit up front, but they have some, you know, the weather essentially help them with not being able to, 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 to get as dynamic a 
a passing game in and can you know minimize the impact of digs and the likes onto it but um yeah. if, if 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 it snows and as you said the weather forecast is for that then yes that so that is a huge equalizer for this Cleveland team. Like uh, I don't know, like I haven't seen Nick Jones chop in the snow, but I imagine he looks pretty fucking. Effective. Yeah, he look he looks like exactly the type of running back you want in the snow. Like <laughs> like he look like he uh, like you know if if there was a human being who kind of made you imagine a snowplow, it would probably look something like Nick Chubb. The last like um, clearing the way. The last the last oh. big snow game I can remember watching it was uh, Kareem Hunt was playing for the Chiefs, I think, against the Washington. Uh, the the commanders prior to them becoming the commanders, and uh, I think he went. I think he went off for like two hundred yards against them or something like. So they've even even the smaller, shiftier running back is a guy who has good experience in the snow. So we'll see. Yeah. So like, look in that situation, this becomes a fifty-fifty game probably overall because like Josh Allen's obviously a pretty good threat with his feet. Yeah. He'll probably be forced to sacrifice more of his body, which is probably not a great sign if you're a Buffalo fan. But like, look, Buffalo now like what they're three, they're three losses. They're they're not ahead of their division anymore. They they think they they deserve the number one seed. Well, you have to earn that fucking shit. Um, and I think they will go all out from here on out. So look, if this is a snow game, I'm <laughs> really excited for this. Actually, uh, we know that the Buffalo snow games are even particularly snowy. Uh, typically compared to the rest of the NFL so look hmm. I think Buffalo are a better team they're more talented and that defensive line is so talented that maybe they can they can keep Chubb in check uh, and you know I think despite all that I'll still go for Buffalo but uh, yeah I'll be, I'll be intrigued if that's what we end up getting yeah no it'll be good uh, good fun um, but yeah we'll say on the basis of it's not I think it's still going to be a relatively entertaining game uh, so I think snow games be, are always great yeah snow games are the best next up Carolina at Baltimore, um, you got to imagine Baltimore just walk this, right, Ronan? Yeah, Baker Mayfield's back. Woo! <laughs> Baltimore are pretty familiar with this opponent and um, have a pretty good record against them, I think, overall. Uh, but Baltimore, I think the big for all boards, like they're, they're looking a little bit more clutch, for lack of a better term. They're not blowing leads quite as at the rate that they were earlier this year, but like Carolina are terrible, so Baltimore should easily win here, yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Next up is your pick of the week, Dallas at Minnesota. Yeah, so obviously huge game here in the NFC. Uh, obviously, we have the Dallas Cowboys, a team that you know had a terrible week one, but since then has really been building up. And obviously now coming off a tough loss against the Green Bay team that I think certainly Mike McCarthy would have hoped that they would have been able to take a side and, and you know, finally eliminate really from, from NFC playoff contention. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. So Dallas coming off a pretty big loss. They'll be reeling. They'll be looking to prove that they're a genuine NFC contender. And then Minnesota coming off the, the latest in the series of I can't believe Minnesota won that game. <laughs> and it's it's quite the series that they're putting together. And I'm willing to, okay, I'm finally just willing to go, whatever. Like, they, they have the they have the look right now they have the hot hand so i'm gonna say that they beat them you and sean have gone for dallas but like look i think based on the quality scenes i don't blame any so i think if dallas are going to win this game the big thing is that what happened last week the defensive line became a non-factor that cannot happen again minnesota have a pretty good offensive line um but if you get under uh the pressure on kirk cousins we know he is good for a mistake or two, a fumble or an interception, uh, a few stray throws. Um, and I think, you know, the first thing, you know, and I think if you can shut down Dalvin Cook, who has had some really good games recently, but has been shut down earlier in the year, then that's the that's the way Dallas have won those games. That's why they won with all of those uh, Cooper Rush games. And so they'd really want to see that come back. But I think the drop down in defense is a little bit of a, an un, like a little bit of underappreciated story so far. And it's certainly something to keep an eye on. Uh, for Minnesota, like, look, the reason that they win is because they got studs. They 
got Justin Jefferson. He just sometimes literally just takes over games and beats them. And Dallas currently have a pretty banged up secondary, which is why the defensive line battle will be so important. So to, to limit how much that can be taken advantage of. Um, obviously, Cook is playing really well at the moment. He's obviously explosive. And Kirk Cousins, like, look, he's having a good se- He's having a Kirk Cousins season. Like, the problem with Kirk Cousins is, like, he can play good for multiple weeks in a row and then suddenly just collapse into in and himself into one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. So any given week that can happen. This game isn't in prime time, uh, but it is in the late window. Uh, so I think it'll be a nationally televised game. So this is like a, a coin flip game for Kirk Cousins' implosion, I suppose. Um, but I think for me, Minnesota, they've earned enough trust that we can say that they should be favoured in this game. I, I assume they will be by the bookies. Um, and that Dallas, while I think a pretty good team, um, I think have shown, like, that defence, if that's not quite where it is, I'm not quite as happy with them. Like, Dak is fine. And if they start running Zeke for no good reason, that's particularly annoying to me, probably. Uh, but, like, look, I think it's a 50-50 game. Um, I think I don't think you're wrong with either pick, so uh, it should hopefully be an enjoyable one, and certainly one that's very impactful for what we can expect in terms of the, the NFC standings, because Minnesota in competition for the number one overall pick. Uh, Dallas, obviously, fine fighting uh, somewhat for the division and certainly in the in the playoff hunt, uh, wildcard hunt. So uh, big, big game overall. Yeah, no, the big, the big one for me is just what can this Dallas defense do against this Minnesota attack? So we'll see how that goes. Next up is the, oh God, the Vegas Raiders take on the Denver Broncos in a game that literally no one cares about. Um, Connor, do you want to take a lap of just laughing at your uh, AFC West compatriots? Yeah, well, like I, I, we'll, we'll talk about it when we're doing our mid-season review. But I think my call of the Vegas being like dog shit is uh, is calling pretty good. I wasn't expecting Denver to fall down this much. I I was very vocal. That I thought that I thought Russ was. Uh, not fully cooked, but that he was somewhat cooked and it was a bad call. But yeah, like this is just a this is just a terrible game. You shouldn't be watching. Me and Fitz have gone for Denver. Sean has gone for Vegas. Um, yeah, <laughs> we just move on. Is there anything you want to say? I suppose. Look, no. we we have we have, we have seen a slightly improved performance from Russell Wilson, I suppose. But like, there's nothing of value in this game at all, apart from seeing crying De- Derek Carr again after after the uh, the press conference. That was a uh, that was a pretty weird watch, wasn't it? You, you, you Chiefs fans can just sit on your throne from on high and, and let them fight, basically. That's it, that's it. Next up, uh, a divisional name that's significantly more interesting. Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. We've uh, for Cincinnati across the board. This is one where TJ Watt's back, which means probably Pittsburgh win, right? Because uh, that's, <laughs> that's apparently the actual metric since he's been there. Um, but yeah, like, this is... So dumb. This is somewhat of a like of a of a really needs to happen um, revenge game for them because like do you remember week one everyone was so sure Cincinnati were going to walk it and Pittsburgh was it five interceptions and a fumble or something along yes. those lines so like exactly. you better fucking believe this Cincinnati team has to come prepared or else like <laughs> you can't you can't lose twice to an individual rival like this and then still be well they're two tiers below us you know and we know the worst games for the Bengals are when. Joe Burrow is just unable to do anything because he's hit immediately. And he obviously doesn't have uh, Jamar Chase still, I believe, for this game. So that means that, um, obviously, his kind of outlet ball... I know it's weird to kind of Jamar Chase's outlet ball, but he's just so good. Like, it's like, whatever, fuck it up to him. He'll probably do something for you. Yeah. Uh, so in this game, if the Steelers' defensive line is even, you know, 80% of what it was in week one, that puts the Bengals in the bad situation. And you definitely want to see if Joe Mixon, after having that breakout game against, obviously, the awful... 
Panthers, that would take a huge load off. So if Bengals are growing to what's way awards last year, where they have some of a run game and they can at least have some offensive line protection, they should be good. But if they put up a stinker here on the offensive line and Pittsburgh's defense is on Joe Burrow like a bad rash, then all bets are off. And like, look, it's not like Pittsburgh are going to go out here and score like 50 points like with Kenny Pickett and this uh, thing. No. But they did run the ball okay last week. That's certainly a sign of protection. It just kind of feels like, yeah, TJ Watt is some kind of weird talisman who's going to like just make this uh, a really bad day for the Bengals. But like, they'll, they'll still, even in a bad day, they still have a chance of winning. But uh, yeah, and, and like, quite ugly. I think I think I think the big the big difference between now and the last time that they played was when they when they played last time they were getting nothing going in the running game, full stop. Whereas like we just had just pre buy, we had a fifty two point fantasy performance by Joe Mixon. Like they were starting to get movement on that. It's yes, they're down some of the receiving weapons, but like yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, we got for Cincinnati across the board in that one. Uh, Sunday night football flexed out to it is Kansas City versus the LA Chargers. Um, yeah, as I mentioned a little bit beforehand there, so Kansas City kind of building a little bit of, I suppose, momentum maybe, like, you know, it would appear from the face with the Kadarius Tony thing worked out a bit better. I was not expecting him to be even kind of in this many plays kind of thing, and we'll see if that actually has any sustainability to it or whether it'll be built more towards the playoffy stuff, but like, Kansas City's offense is looking like it's going as you talked about in the re- in the in the reviews there that like the defense is really kind of doing pretty well as well. Um, come come guys coming back off injury, so that's going to help. And this is a Chargers team that you know are down four or five linemen at this point, like have injuries all over the place, and like I've, I've been saying for a while, frankly, need new coaching, like. The way they're scheming up their offense isn't playing into their strengths. Like I just don't like the chart. The Chargers are just doing what they did under the with the Rivers years and everything as well. They're just pissing away years of opportunity. Like I just like it's a big important game for Chargers. Chargers need to win this game. I would expect them to come out and leave everything on the field. I am interested in seeing what the injury reports on their wide receivers will look like going into this because we do still have a slightly weakened back end, but like. It is hard in the current form to be picking against Pat Mahomes. Yeah, Pat Mahomes is just dealing right now. Like I think he looks better than he's ever has. Does that make sense? Like it's hard to say because his eyes are so fucking high. But like the 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 offense is so much more balanced now. Obviously, Kelsey is still the fulcrum, but other guys are making contributions. The run game's even doing a solid job of closing games out. uh, With Pacheco kind of mostly Mm. taking over that backfield now, and it just. It like like it's it, it doesn't feel as good because obviously you don't have Tyreek Hill just like blowing things up every five seconds and whatever. Uh, but it is on terms of what's actually being put on there in terms of stats and production and controlling games, it's it's probably better. And on the other hand, did you say the Chargers? The only thing that really works in the offense um, is mostly the Austin Eckler and the pass game type stuff, and that's not really enough to build up. Now look, maybe you know I think Mike Williams is probably not going to be back. Keenan Allen, I think is most likely done for the season to be overturned based on the, the sounds coming out there um, so this is very very limited Chargers so I think if the Chargers have any chance in this game it's if Brandon Staley can kind of done well he's kind of to some extent done in recent matchups with the Chiefs where he's frustrated Mahomes I think Mahomes but like if Mahomes has already figured like if Mahomes has, has ascended to the next level where you know too high shell and you know taking away uh, the deep ball doesn't he doesn't care anymore he is he is now he is he's assimilated that he is the borg he is assimilated that he is now new mahomes he has taken over then 
what worked for Staley like earlier this year will could very easily look absolutely foolish and that might just look like give it to Kadarius Tony um for yards after the catch and let him do his work do let Jeremy McKinnon do similar um and obviously let Kelsey do his usual thing so yeah I think right now on form Chiefs have to be favored here but we know the Chargers like to give the Chiefs a hard time in the regular season at least um so I wouldn't count them out completely but based on injury profile based on talent based on momentum Chiefs all the way yeah yeah and then uh finally we have San Francisco taking on Arizona. Uh, even with the airy, even with the injuries to San Fran, we're taking them over the the, the Kling, Kingsbury chaos. Yeah, yeah. Like, look, like Arizona, they're they're just about keeping their head above water after that win against the the the, the Rams with their backups uh, called McCoy. I think they will probably get Kyler back for this game, so be back to be their chaotic best. I think for San Francisco, this is a key opportunity to take a rival uh, to the cleaners and just remove them from the thing and just have them versus Seahawks for the rest of the season really as the NFC West battle. Um, Obviously, San Francisco are a more talented team overall. Their defense has been playing really effectively despite having like 12 injuries, it feels like, every week. Um, And then the offense, this new CMC, Elijah Mitchell running back tandem seemed to work really well last week. See if they continued that. On the other hand, look, I don't think think Arizona are better than they were like ironically obviously usually they're the opposite but they are improving the defense is way better than it was earlier in the year and now that they have DeAndre Hopkins back the offense makes some semblance of sense James Conner is back and you know I won't go for the James Conner debate but I think he's you know he's solid there uh, and certainly him and Edo Benjamin are an okay tandem and Rondale Moore has been a surprisingly increasing useful factor he's obviously a guy who's a kind of kind of Katerius Tony get in his hands let him do stuff and it works enough but I think losing Zach Ertz, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they're able to pull out to, to make up for that. Uh, but Arizona, you know, they're treading water right now. If they get a big win here, that would make all the difference in the NFC West. But look, San Francisco, better team, more momentum. Um, so we'll give them the, the, the odds here. Yeah, no, it seems a fair enough assessment of the scenario down there. Um, yeah, we're relatively close on our picks for the year. Obviously, weeks this week, Jacksonville, Miami, Seattle, Tampa Bay. So we'll be chatting up those teams afterwards and next week we're going to be doing our kind of half year uh, coming up on Thanksgiving uh, review I don't know we might even theme it that way we'll figure it out but um, yeah any crack for the for the rest of the week with yourself then? Uh, no like obviously after the uh, big Munich blowout uh, not not uh, stamina uh, needs to be replenished <laughs> and uh, you know back to work uh, obviously uh, for the rest of this week uh, I think the World Cup starts this uh, weekend uh, depending on your political leanings maybe you may, may or not be uh, boycotting it but I'll yeah I'm not bothering it. to be but honest but I'll be watching it on a legal stream so they won't get anything out of me yeah that'll show them <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll get him fits well done <laughs> I've got to hack the system. So you're going to be feeling that lost revenue of whatever year one. I don't. I don't know. Like, is it is it on standard television? Do you have to get like a Sky Sports packet? Yeah, for, like, yeah. These the, World, days, the World Cup will be all be uh, the World Cup will all be on domestic television, RTE, BBC, uh, ITV, etc., etc. Okay, well, that's that's something at least. Uh, don't you could probably there, there is one World Cup game on the Sunday, but it's like Qatar versus Ecuador. You could mm. probably uh, rely on red zone instead of that. Yeah. I do remember hearing from someone as well that like didn't they have to move the tournament so that the host nation could play it a day early because they're normally the ones that play first or something like that. Very exciting, very exciting. I won't be watching. I, to be honest, I wouldn't watch very much soccer myself anyway to start with. And uh, given all the surrounding elements, I definitely won't be bothering me whole this time around, you know? <laughs> That's fair enough. Maybe... Uh Maybe like the the World Cup final is on the weekend before Christmas, so maybe mm. there'll be an opportunity there for a, a meetup for the the World Cup final at the at the very least. But uh, that's several several weeks away, and there's a lot of football of all types to go between now and then. That's it. That's it. Um, but I suppose for now, uh, that'll wrap us up. So it's bye from myself, bye from Ronan. 
Bye. I, I presume bye from Sean, wherever he is. And uh, to us, all, all four quarters, thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week. <laughs>